Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We hope that this message inspires you and helps you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. It's great to be with you. My name's Doug, and I remember coming before, back when you were in the, uh, what would we call it, the old building, and I came to your living Christmas tree thing, and also uh, was able to visit a lot when John Bliffin would be here. John and Becky are missionaries with Team Expansion, and so it's really fun to be back with you. Uh, I know the last year and a half have been crazy. Thanks for the way you've hung in there. Whether you're watching online or here in person, uh, welcome. To me, there are some huge uh, ways that uh, the world is changing nowadays. And one of the things that, have, that has not changed is that churches like yours that are here kind of in the trenches, you know, day by day, you are like the front lines of the growth of, of the kingdom here in North America. And so it's an honor to be with you and to be able to uh, share with you today. We've got a, a, an exhibit out in the foyer and would like to invite you to stop by there. And two team expansion team members have come with me. They're back in the back. We've got uh, Kendall on the left there uh, in the black sweater and Kaylee on the right with the white sweater. Kaylee has been with our mobilization team for some time, so she tries to recruit missionaries. Moms and dads, if you've got a young person that you've been trying to figure out, how do I get rid of this person? You can send them to Kaylee and she will send them off to Afghanistan or wherever God calls them. And then Kendall is on the left. She's my new assistant. She just started. Literally, she'd been with us four days. And some people in the office are already asking her how she managed to stay working with Doug that long. So what do you think of that? But they're both going to be out there, the Kendall and Kaylee. So I'm calling them the K people, not to be confused with K-pop. If you've come across that kind of music, they don't do all the dance moves, you know, out there in the foyer. Uh, but uh, Kendall and Kaylee would be glad to help you. We also have a book about uh, disciple-making movement strategies. And the book is out there. You're welcome to take one of those. Uh, it, it, we order them from Amazon, too. And you're welcome to order them from Amazon for $15 each. Or you can uh, take one this morning. And if you'd like to donate $10, that'll help offset the price of the book. But we always tell people, if you didn't bring any money, don't worry about it. If you'll, if you'll apply what's in the book, just take it, you know. And, uh, and take it and use it. And usually somebody else will give $20 for their donation. It all comes out in the wash anyway. So that's out in the foyer. I hope you'll jump out there and see that after we're done. I really love the idea of talking with local churches here in North America because there is a, a kind of uh, movement or, or sweeping change, a sea change is happening around the world today. And uh, that's kind of why I'm here in a way to talk about that. I'm going to start a timer just so I know uh, that I don't have to look at my watch anymore. And it's set on 28 minutes. And when that timer beeps, that means I'll just take a minute to wrap up and then uh, we'll be done. That way, maybe you don't have to look at your watches either. You know, okay, so I got 28 minutes, you know, make the most of this. But there's like this sea change that's happening around the world today and it it's kind of in contrast to the way we were all trained to go out as missionaries. You remember the Don Boffman days? Uh, I was kind of, in a way, on the tail end of that generation. They, they taught us to try to start a new church 
every term. And if things went incredibly well, maybe we could try to start a new church every year. And you know what that meant. It's like a Wurlitzer organ in the corner, a PVPA system, you know. If you're really hip, you might use slides for the songs. And you kind of had this sort of kit idea of what is a church. All that is changing so much now. And part of the reason why is because of the onset of these things called movements. And this started, I remember when it started, back around the late 90s, we started seeing one or two of these things pop up. And they were kind of really weird to think about how many people would accept Jesus in a very short amount of time. I'm talking about a thousand people might come to Christ in one town or region within the space of one year. And maybe they'd been Muslims there their whole lives. But there was like this movement that happened. And after one or two of these sprang up, people started writing about them and studying them. And finally you had five. And I remember in my lifetime, think about that. I sound like, you know, I've, I've covered all these years. But I remember when we got to 27 movements. And I thought, wow, this is something different than the way we've always been doing it. So because I do lead team expansion, I serve as president of the organization. We have about 380 missionaries in 50 countries. I would start communicating with them. What do you guys think of this? And people were saying, oh, oh I, don't, I don't see that happening here. By the time we got to 2010, I actually uh, participated. I, I was in person at a talk that this researcher gave. He had tracked a hundred movements around the world. And we were all saying, wow, that's so unique. By the time 2015 came, I was in the room when they made the announcement to the 500 of us at this big conference in which finally now there were 350 of these movements. Now, we're tracking over 1,300 of them. I mean, books are being written about this. And the strange thing is, out of the 1,300, if you look at the number of movements that are in North America, Europe, Australia, and New Zealand, it's like a handful at the most. A handful. The other 1,300 are in everywhere else in the world, outside of North America, Europe, Australia, and New Zealand. Now, why is that? I ask myself. There are all kinds of theories. My son, you know, he just graduated from Harvard, you know, with this degree in how to do uh, surveys and stuff. And so now he's teaching at a university, and he keeps saying, Dad, don't embarrass me by pretending to be able to study a cause for something you can't reproduce in a tested study. So I know, I'm not trying to trick you into thinking that I know the cause. But I'm, I have some theories that I like to test. One of them is, we are used to doing church in a certain way. And the way we're used to doing church is, we all come into this room and we listen to a guy speak. And we think that if we listen to the guy speak up there, that by coming into this church and listening to him speak, that makes us a Christian, which makes about as much sense as walking into your garage makes you a car, you know? There is something different. There's got to be. And now that these movements are happening, we're wondering, so how do we do a movement here? What if we wanted such a movement to happen in Wilmington, Ohio? What if this right here, what if this is the place that's going to be the beginning 
of one of those movements. And people write about it someday. Well, I think it might have started in a little town in southwestern Ohio. What would we have to do to make that happen? So what I've done, I've collected some of the things that people are doing in those movements. Now, I want to make sure you understand. We know now, after having studied these, you can't cause a movement to happen by doing some kind of formula. It just doesn't work. People have tried it. It doesn't work. But we have been able to observe things that get in the way of movements, and that helps us try to sort of backthink some best practices that if you do these best practices, maybe God will choose to do it. So today I'm going to give you seven best practices or seven attributes that sometimes when people do them, they are in movement. And the thing I'm going to do is I'm just going to give these to you in about three minutes. So I'm not really talking about the seven things. And then what we're going to do instead, instead of that, instead of me using a PowerPoint with this clicker, what we're going to do is we're going to demonstrate just a part of one of those practices here in the room this morning. So what are the seven things that we've noticed? Well, the first thing that seems like it has to happen a lot is that people have to become a disciple worth multiplying to make a movement. That is, people have to start obeying. They have to start doing what they've heard about. They have to start acting out the stuff that they've been told to do and actually doing that, you know? So that's the first thing. I wish I could talk for two hours about just that because that idea, I mean, you've all studied cancer. You know that just because things multiply, it doesn't mean that that's good. I mean, multiplication when it's a cancer cell is not a good thing. So we don't want to have a movement of people that are fake. For this to work, you have to be real, authentic. And for this to work for me, I had to start being real and authentic and obeying the stuff that I was talking about or else this will never work. So become a disciple worth multiplying or obey. The second thing we have to do a lot more of is breathe scripture in. We just have to start reading scripture. And I know this is something you're probably already doing, so I'm not even going to talk about that. The third thing we have to do is we have to start praying like crazy. I mean, it has to be extraordinary prayer. For example, I heard about a movement in China, and I didn't get to meet yet the people who were involved in starting that, but I did meet the guy that was invited to go there to study whether the movement was real. I did meet him. He has an inch and a half thick stack of interviews he did for people in that movement. And they talk about generations in these movements. Uh, in these movements. Like if, you know, if, if Dale tells somebody how to do this certain thing and then that guy starts doing it with other people. So, you know, it's kind of like if Dale is generation zero, then that guy would be generation one. When he starts that practice with somebody else and that guy starts doing it, that's generation two. If that guy tells somebody else, that's generation three. You get the idea? This guy I talked to had gone there and had studied the movement to the 27th generation. So I, keep in mind, I didn't talk to the people in the movement. I talked to the guy who went there to study it. It was real. And this guy that went there to study it told me that the guy who started the movement had this practice of praying for three hours every morning. Three hours. 
And when people would come to him and ask, can I help with this? Or I want to get involved. He would say, after you're praying for an hour every morning, then I'll work with you. He wouldn't even talk to them until they were praying for an hour every morning for a movement to happen. We got to start praying outlandishly for God to do this. And if we beg, if we plead with him, just maybe he will make this happen starting in Wilmington, Ohio. May it be, please, Lord. So become a disciple with multiplying. Obey. Start reading scripture like crazy. Pray. And reading scripture like crazy. I, I don't know what that is for you. It, is it a chapter a day for you if you're not reading already? Or if you're already reading a chapter, can you read five chapters a day? You'll have to define what that means. Uh, pray like crazy. And then we have to start sharing our faith. And not just sharing our faith ourselves. We have to train others to do that as well. So we have to find some kind of easy ways to do that by the side of the soccer field. So it becomes a normal part of Christian life for us to share our faith. And then we have to not only share our faith, we have to get out among the lost and do it. So if you're writing these down, I hope you'll say, not just share, but we have to get out among lost people. Now for me, I worked at a mission organization headquarters. These people were not just believers. These were professional believers. They were paid to be believers. You know, all of us were. I didn't know very many non-Christians. So for me, I had to go out of my way to start meeting non-Christians when I started drinking in all this idea. So now, every Wednesday night, I go to a part of Louisville that's very international. 100 languages within seven blocks. People that are down and out, they're squatters. In fact, this is a Sunday, right? So this past Wednesday night, the lady, one of the ladies in the group I'm starting asked me to help her change her doorknob. And I said, well now, help me, help me think this through and I won't say her name. She said, well, I just, I need a doorknob on my door. Okay, so I got the screwdriver and I started working on it. And I said, now where did this doorknob come from? And I started looking at the front door of the whole apartment building and I noticed the doorknob was missing. She had taken the doorknob off the entrance of the apartment building and she put it on her door, you know. This lady told me recently, she said, I get $100 a month in aid. I said, well, that's probably very challenging for you, isn't it? Yes, because the first $30 I spent on drugs, that only gives me 70 to work with. Wow, so that even becomes more challenging, doesn't it? I mean, these people are the down and outers. And once I started getting out among the lost, then I started feeling authentic standing here asking you to do the same. So today I'm asking you to do the same. Let's start sharing our faith like never before. Getting them out among the lost. Finding ways to get out among the lost to share our faith. And then let's train other people to do the same. And then let's try to gather these folks into groups. And these groups are just almost mystical in the way that they are helping. One trainer describes them as the motor of the movement. Multiplying groups are the motor of the movement because they help hold us accountable. Now, I'm asking people in local churches like yours to think about a minimum benchmark of three different time slots a week. Now you have what? Morning, afternoon, and evening of each day. You have seven days a week. So I figure we've all got, what is that? 21 different slots of time. You fill up a lot of them with work and a lot of them with, you know, athletics and, you know, watching TV and everything else we all do. So I'm saying, what about just three? Three time slots a week. Is that manageable? One for corporate worship where we celebrate and we, 
we lift out the name of Jesus. That's one of your three. That's the bingo square. You know, you get the center of square. It's the, and the second one is some kind of group in which you encourage one another to good works. You're, you're kind of in a life group or a Sunday school class or whatever you want to call it. But holding each other accountable to good works in that second. And then the third one is the part that I think most of us are doing right now. We might be doing the one and we might be extra faithful to do the two. The third one is the one in which we need to get out among the lost. So you've got to decide what that is. You, you know what it's going to take. Get out among the lost to start sharing our faith. Three different time slots or entities or activities. I don't know what you call these. Three per week. And that seems to be the minimum for us to be able to have the motor to go to do a movement. And that third could be prayer walking through your, your uh, school or your, your cubicles at work or through a neighborhood, you know. Or that third one could be like I'm trying to do on Wednesday night, starting this group among the guy from Somalia, the guy that's on drugs, the lady that's on drugs, the, the guy that's an alcoholic. We just took another alcoholic to a rehab center. And then this guy is kind of a down and outer, you know. And I'm trying to start a group with these folks Partly because it's the only way I don't have imposter syndrome when I stand up in front of you and ask you to do the same. Let's get serious about this. And let's multiply groups. Now that's not the only reason. I'm, I'm being a little bit facetious. But I'm asking you to do that. To get out among the lost. And then somehow multiply those groups. That's what we want to do. So let's practice this right now. By the way, let's review one more time. So we're going we're gonna to like uh, become a disciple with multiplying. Obey. We're going to read the Bible and breathe in Scripture. We're going to pray extraordinarily, like crazy, you know. We're going to try to learn to share our faith and train others to do the same. We're going to start gathering people into groups. And then we're going to try to multiply those groups and grow. We're going to try to multiply them and grow as a church. That's what we're going to try to do. That's what I'm daring you to do. So now, let's take one of the 60 or 65 parts of practices that we could learn to do and all those things and let's try to mimic it right now. So we're going we're gonna to just try this. We're all going to turn, if you would please, would you turn to Mark chapter 5 verse 1 through 20. We've got some volunteers with microphones I think. Who are volunteers here? Glenn? Glenn's going to do a mic. Who else has got a microphone for us? Uh, okay, and your, what's your name? Jenna? Jenna's going to help us and also Brand, Brady. Brady. Brady and Jenna. Okay, so Glenn, Brady, Jenna. Can we have a volunteer, somebody who would read Mark 5, 1 through 20 right now? And you don't have to be a professional reader, but we are going to ask you to just read through the whole thing in one, one fell swoop. Okay, so if you don't mind, and we'll bring the mic so we can all hear it online or here in person. Who would read Mark 5, 1 through 20 for us, please? Out loud. Oh, we have a, okay. And what is your name, sir? Dow. This morning. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Dow is going to read Mark 5, 1 through 20. They came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerasenes. When he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him, and he had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one was able to bind him anymore, even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him and shouting with a loud voice said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. 
For he had been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, what is your name? And he said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. And the demons implored him, saying, send us into the swine so that we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission, and coming out, the unclean spirit entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned into the sea. Their herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed, sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind, and the very man who had the legion, and they became frightened. Those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine, and they began to implore him to leave their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him, and he did not let him, but said to him, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. Thanks, Tom. What do you like about this passage? Maybe just raise your hand and the person with the mic will come so we make sure the people online can hear. Probably we could hear you in this room, but we want to make sure they hear as well. So maybe raise your hand. And you don't have to grab the mic uh, for these comments. That way we'll be COVID friendly. You know, so we'll let the, the volunteers bring the mic. What do you like? What do you like about the passage? Something you found interesting? Anybody? You guys go ahead, Brady and Glenn, kind of Petra, no, Jenna, Petra. What was your name again? Jenna, Jenna that's right, Jenna, <laughs> sorry. Jenna, just walk through the, uh, the crowd, and as, as you walk, maybe somebody raise your hand. What, what did you like? Yes, back there. Uh, I like that Jesus helped the guy with like an actual need. And not just like, hey, I'm here to save your soul. But like, oh. it was an actual, I mean, he did that too. But like, really it was good. an actual need that this guy was so excited to share with people. What's your name? Dustin. Dustin. Well done. I, I trust that you heard Dustin. He liked that Jesus helped the guy with an actual need that he had. So that, that's outstanding. Somebody else? Yes, right here, Brady. Right to your left. Um, I liked how at the end, you know, he wanted to be with Jesus and go with him wherever he was going, which is awesome. But Jesus was like, no, go tell people of what you've seen here. And um, I think that's just a sign of what we're supposed to do in the end. Once we've seen Jesus' miracles, we're just supposed to share them. Very good. Great. Somebody else? Good, Jenna. Jenna's got one. After, after he... Uh met Jesus. The man wanted to stay with him. He begged to stay with Jesus. And I thought that was outstanding that the fact is so many of us meet Jesus and then walk on. Yeah. But he begged to stay with him. Yeah, that's good intent. And if you're online, you can say a comment by typing it in. Jacob, do you have one from online? Brady, can you pick him up? Yeah, there you go. Yes, sir. This one's from, this one's from Paul watching online. He says, what sticks out to him the most is that Jesus is the one physically there doing this. He doesn't just command the, the disciples to do this. He shows them how to. He was right there on, on the site. Love it. Very good. Cole said that, right? Paul. 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 Thank you, Paul. Uh, well said. And others who are online, feel free to go ahead and, 
and do that input on YouTube or Facebook or on the website, whichever you like. Okay, let me ask this. Uh, what did you find frustrating or maybe confusing? Something that leaves you with a question. And we might not know the answer, but what, what did you find a little bit un, unsettling? Give you time to think. Oh, there's one. So, why were all those pigs out there? I mean, uh, pigs are off limits, aren't they? Yeah. That's right. To send those. And what's your name? Hugh. Hugh. Hugh's identifying something very, very, uh, you know, important here. Why were those pigs in, in a place where people don't usually eat pork? Uh, maybe there were a bunch of people who weren't Jews, I guess. The passage doesn't tell us, but, but uh, certainly there was some kind of a cottage industry going on there, right? Yeah. Nobody knows the answer. Other things that leave you with... Yes, uh, Brady, you've got another, another one right there. Jesus has done this wonderful, incredible thing, and the people want him to leave. Why is that? What, what's your theory? I mean, what is your name? Joellen. Joellen. What's your theory about that? Because the passage doesn't say, but why, why do you think they want to leave? Maybe they didn't want to change. Maybe they didn't want to change? Okay. Some people have said it's because they uh, were... I mean, you couldn't put at the end of the movie, no animals were harmed in this movie, you know. You couldn't say that, so maybe they were overwhelmed with, I don't know. You got somebody else there, Jim? I don't really understand why they were still afraid of the man, even though the demons had been taken out of him. Yeah. yeah, what was it that made them afraid of the man? And we don't really know, because the passage doesn't tell us, but what was your name? Boyd. Boyd. Boyd's on the right track here. Not only afraid of the man, but now apparently they wanted Jesus to go. So you have to assume something about Jesus frightened them or whatever. Some people said, well, you know, you're always afraid of what you don't understand, I guess. But, but whatever the case, it's, it's disconcerting. In a normal study like this, in a normal three-thirds group, we would now read the passage again. And uh, in the interest of time this morning, we're going to jump to the third question. Remember, our first question was, what do you like? The second was, what did you find confusing or, or unsettling? Or, or you have a question about it, you know, what do you not like, in other words? And then third question is, what do we learn about this, this passage? What do we learn about this story about mankind or humanity? What's something we learn about humans, about people from this story? What do you think? Yes. You guys are good at this. We are very fearful. We are very fearful. So see, she's building on this discussion we're having, kind of tagging and tying all this together. Love it. What's your name, ma'am? Kathy. Kathy. Well done, Kathy. Uh, you see how this sort of threads through and we kind of build on each other. What else? What, do you, what else do we learn about people? Anything from online folks, too. What else do we learn about people? There's one. Um, once you see a miracle of Jesus, you can't resist him. Once you see a miracle of Jesus, you can't resist You're talking about the man who was healed, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. We're very good. What's your name? Lena. Lena. Real good, Lena. Now, you know, we learn stuff about humans, about people. Now, what about uh, God or Jesus? What, what's something we learn from the story about Jesus or God? Anybody? What do we learn about Jesus or God? Yes, over there, Glenn. If Jesus, uh, if Jesus and the Lord abide, if you abide in the Lord, uh, darkness is afraid of you. Yeah. That's um, something. And spiritual warfare is real. Yeah. 
And if people in Christ are around you, um, you would be afraid of they. You would be afraid of them. Yeah. I mean, this the spirit would be afraid of you. We see it right here, don't we, Christina? And they would want to flee. Yeah, it's Christina, right? Yeah. Yeah. We see it right here. Uh, she talked to me out in the hallway before the service. We see it right here, this conflict between good and evil. And yet, like Christina's saying, God's more powerful, huh? He wins in this, uh, in this story. So that, that's something we learn about Jesus. Is he's more powerful. You know, something I learned, and we always encourage the person facilitating the group, you take part too, because you're not a teacher in these groups. You're just facilitating a discussion. So you take part like any other group member. So I'll say something I am interested in. The guy wants to get in the boat, but Jesus doesn't let him. And I think it's fascinating to think about that concept that the guy really probably needed more training, didn't he? He, he had known Jesus by what we know in this passage. He'd known Jesus two hours or whatever, whatever amount of time this took, a half day. But Jesus was ready to put him right to work right then and there, immediately. Because why? He knew enough to go tell people about the amazing mercy that God had shown him. And I find that just fascinating that God trusts us enough with his words that we can go to work even if we just met him. I love that idea. Love that. Now, here's what we do next. We now pray and we ask God to help us figure out what do I do as a result of this story? What do I need to obey in this story? You know, we talked about that. The very first thing, start becoming a disciple worth multiplying. Not bad cells like cancer. How do we become good cells worth multiplying? What do we need to do after we read this story? Okay, so what we do is we, we bow our heads actually or whatever you do when you pray. Uh, look up in the heavens or whatever. And we ask God, please speak to me. How does my life need to be different? And then we also try to think of a person by name that we ought to share Jesus' story with them. Or maybe share my testimony about how God changed me. So obey and share. And then also, is there somebody I ought to train about this passage? Somebody that needs to know this, that I need to pass it along. Now that's a weird thought for us. We think of maybe Dale or the elders or our Sunday school class teacher as being somebody who can train others. But now we know in this verse, in this story, that this guy knew enough. Jesus apparently came to this shore for that one guy because now he's done with that one guy and he's going to get back in the boat again and go away. So Jesus came for this one guy. What does Jesus want you as one guy or gal to share with somebody else and to train them? That's what we pray right now. Remember, you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be the mother duckling that's leading the whole flock of ducks. All you have to worry about is just leading the one duckling behind you and just one step. And you know what? We're not that smart. We're not the mother duckling, if Jesus is the mother duckling. All we are is just one step ahead of the duckling behind us. And there are going to be times that that duckling's in front of us, and we're going to follow him. So we're just going to ask God now, who is one person that I can try to share faith with this week? So let's try that. Let's bow our heads or close our eyes, and let's let a moment of silence go by, and let's ask God, who's a person we can reach? And then when we're done, I'm going to ask somebody to tell us a name. You don't have to use the real name. You can use a fake name to represent the real name, but please have a real person in mind. Okay, so let's pray. So Lord, help us to figure out how we're supposed to obey as a result of this passage. 
Help us understand what do I need to do differently? How do I need to live differently? Second, Lord, help us to figure out whom should we train? What person is one step behind me that I could share this passage with to train them? And then, Lord, would you give us a name, a real live person? And in this group, we're going to use a, a pseudonym, a name of a person that we need to share our faith with and start multiplying this very week, Lord. Please, right now, give us that name as we think. Amen. Okay, do we have a volunteer, courageous volunteer, who will give us a pseudonym of a name of a person that you really thought of, somebody real, that you want to share your faith with this week? You're going to tell them about Jesus one way or the other. Well, you've got one. Okay, Glenn's got someone. Yes, Dustin. Uh, the name is Tom. Tom. Dustin, that's great. So I wonder, Dustin's willing to do this. I wonder if we can just pray for Dustin. And I'm going to give our, our camera guys, you know, uh, fits with this. But what if we pray right now for Dustin that he would have this faith, this courage to share with Tom this week? So Glenn, let's you and I pray that with him right now. I'll just voice our prayer. Lord, thanks so much that Dustin's been willing to capture this and been brave enough to say this name, which probably is a pseudonym, but you know, Lord, the person he's really thinking of. He's been willing to say that he'd like to do that. Would you please this week, Lord, give him strength and courage to do this, to really fulfill this, to carry through, and then give him the words to say, maybe some kind of little plan of a three-minute way to share, or maybe just to tell his testimony, to try to help Tom come into contact with you to introduce him, to share his faith. Lord, would you please help Dustin right now this week? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Dustin. Now, in a real meeting like this, when we met the next week, we would open up with the first third of the meeting to ask everybody in the group, how did it go? So we would literally say to Dustin, so how did it go when you shared with Tom? And if Dustin said, well, you know, we really didn't get time. You know how life happens sometimes. Uh, maybe the second week we'd ask him again. So did you get a chance to talk to Tom? I tell you what, after two or three weeks of that, Dustin either decides to self-select out of the group or else he finally says, I got to talk to this guy because they won't stop asking me about him, you know. And that's the way these groups work. They help you stay accountable to the goals that you set. That's the first third. The middle third is the Bible study, and the last third is that one we just did where we figure out how do we obey and train and share. And that's the motor for these groups. And we just demoed it. Now, in real life, it might take you 60 to 90 minutes with six people. We did it in like 12, you know. But I hope you get the idea of what it'll be like. Now let's pray that God can help us do it. Don't be a guy who walks into a garage and thinks that that makes you a car. Let's pray. Lord, would you please change us so we can change others? In Jesus' name, amen. We want to help you take your next best step. If you would like more information about how to do that, visit us online at wcconline.com. 
www.connectwithgod.org and fill out a Connect card. If this message has inspired you, be sure to share it with a friend. And don't forget to keep up with us on social media. Thanks again for joining.